welcome to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. I've been having great anxiety about doing Zoom call interviews with the several people that I have had available to do interviews with me because I'm not a very great techie and the idea of trying to first do the Zoom call, record it, download it, send it over to my Audacity program was causing me terrible strain. So I kept putting it off in hope that uh, COVID would end and I could have all these people or many of these people, since some are out of the area, by an in-person interview. Well, that hasn't worked out. It's going on 10 months. So I decided to bite the bullet and have the Zoom recording for an audio podcast experience. It's uh, probably not perfect. I've been told and I've read that Zoom interviews aren't really great sound-wise, but I'm a work in progress, and I think still the interview is fascinating, and just think of it as a phone call that I made for you. It's with a young woman, Tiffany Sierra, whom I heard about through my parish, and I thought would make a wonderful addition to this program, telling us about how her work and her faith have integrated with one another. Her toddler was in the room with her, so the interview has all the earmarks of real life. I had a good time, and I hope that you will too. I want to welcome Tiffany Sierra, who founded and is the chief inspirational officer of Improv It Up. It's a most creative way, and I'm going to learn a lot more about it in our conversation, to take the art of improvisation, which generally people see as a form of entertainment only, and use it in a very therapeutic way. Actors are kind of familiar with it, but what Tiffany seems to have done is to expand its use for all sorts of people, including priests, seminarians, ordinary people, ordinary Catholics, and other people as well. And that helps them with the basics of gaining confidence in public speaking, but also as a means to dissipate stress. And it also has informed her, her experience as a, an improv it up chief inspirational officer is that she has a certificate in social emotional arts. And we're gonna talk a lot about that, which helps educators, mental health professionals and art professionals unlock their stories and uh, enhance their learning. So we have a lot to talk about here. And I want to uh, get the wealth of your experience and how your Catholic life plays into that work you do, plus how that work plays into your life as a Catholic. So tell me first about your background, your origin story, if you will. Who are you, Tiffany Sierra? <laughs> I'm so excited to be on. Thank you so much. I'm also going to let everyone know that I'm, I'm mom multitasking. So I have my two-year-old daughter in the background. <laughs> so when you hear noise and stuff, it's it's my two-year-old. So I started Improv It Up in, in 2016. Really the idea of starting this organization and, and working with kids and people came from experiencing childhood trauma. So um, I grew up with a mom who had a prescription drug addiction and it was a daily, I guess, battle, you could say, managing everything with my mom. So everything in life was unpredictable. But the one mm. thing I found as a child was creating characters and 
improvising gave me and my brain like something to stabilize. And so acting really became like therapy for me as, as a child. Uh, actually at the age of three, I told my mom, I wanted to be an actress and she, she kind of honored that we didn't have acting schools. And I grew up in Daly city, which is just the city outside of San Francisco. And so I ended up at a dance school, but, but really moving forward from that, what was kind of the catalyst to starting in profit up was I moved to LA in 2006 to pursue my dream of becoming an actress. And six months into my move, my mother passed away from a dose of her prescription drugs. At that same time, I was studying at the Second City and I had to take a break, you know, from, from the program. But when I went back, improv literally became like therapy for me. And it continued to be that. Three years after that, my father passed away also very suddenly. And so I just found myself in this place of, you know, the unknown and improv really is a way to help to manage the unknown because you're on stage and you don't know what's going to happen next or what people are going to say. So I like to say improv was kind of like my saving grace. It really became like therapy for me. And so I realized if it could do that for me in my brain, I could use it to help others kind of do the same thing. So that's how I started my program because I've been working with kids in juvenile hall and working with in underserved communities using the arts as a way for self-expression and to create self-confidence. And so I've been doing that for gosh, like 20 years. You know, I met you, I have, I, we've sort of crossed paths, but we didn't really know each other. I know of you from my parish where you were doing some work there. I think I want to say it was with the Catholic underground, but I'm not sure if it was that or something else. And so that's kind of how I know of you and did not know about all of this work until we, we talked. So how did, how did you happen to get to a Catholic church? Were you raised religiously? Well, we were kind of, what do you call it? Uh, cradle Catholics or. Right, right, you know? right. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> we, we didn't really go to church. Um, we were Catholic, but what happened for me was I had a kind of supernatural spiritual experience the night of my mom's passing when I went home and I woke up the next morning and I really had this like overwhelming sense of love and this like at the time it felt like a very odd feeling because here I was grieving the loss of my mom and yet I felt immense love and I couldn't figure out what was going on. At the time, I also realized that my apartment where I lived in West Hollywood was right behind the Catholic church. Okay, maybe I'll just go one day. Like I really felt God's immense grace and love calling me back to the church. And you know, he made it really easy because he's like, you know what? I know that you're, you might be a little lazy. So you're not even gonna have to try. <laughs> close, we're close. <laughs> I'm gonna put you in an apartment where you could just walk up the street. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And so, how long ago? What year approximately was that? Because that's I feel I met you in the 2000s someplace. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was a little later than that. Did you did you use the improv it up process in the stuff you did at the church, or were you doing something else? Yeah. So what happened was I was teaching at a at a Catholic acting school, and that closed down, and my students were all still wanting to study with me. 
Oh. So I had to figure out, okay, how can I make this work? So I realized that St. Victor's, we had a hall and I was really involved in the church and doing certain ministries and trying to help other young people come back to the mass. Um, so I spoke mm. with Monsignor Murphy and I said, could I well, have the, the space in the bottom? And he, he told me, no, I couldn't rent it, but I could use it for free. Right. So I started up my class out of the church hall. I just, I put flyers out at the church and, and my students who, you know, some of them were Catholic, uh, well, actually all of them were Catholic, um, continued to study with me. And it was just like, little by little, I started getting, you know, some non-Catholics who were, and I had an engineer in my class. He was just trying to become more comfortable with himself. I got a priest. His name is Father Darren. And Father Darren and I became just, we became such good friends. He officiated my wedding. He baptized oh. my daughter. And we are just friends to this day. I had several seminarians coming through my program, just saying it was helping them just to become just even more free, like in their homilies, just becoming more comfortable with themselves. So it was really doing for everyone what it what it did for me was I would say improperly freed me up. Well, it's interesting, you, you know, you talk about uh, the seminarians and the priests who would come and learn from your improv concept. And it makes a whole lot of sense because I'm sure you both of us know in our lifetime, uh, priests who can't uh, unfortunately do homilies very well, either whether they're reading or whether they're trying to be spontaneous-ish, um, that you can almost sense the tension in them no matter how long they've been doing it. So that's okay. kind of an interesting, that's an interesting aspect of it. I, I wonder if a sem do seminaries, I wonder, have a program which would allow them to loosen up a little bit? Or is that something that you've ever explored with the seminaries? I did because, because I had so many seminarians and priests and, 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 a, and a few other priests come through my program. They believed that it was going to be, it would be extremely beneficial, but it only went so far and then I just didn't pursue it anymore because I really realized if you want your program or your, your company to be super successful, you should look outside of churches. Of course. But it is an interesting thing because I think pretty much any profession that does any kind of uh, speaking, whether it be spiritual speaking or secular speaking, is going to find a benefit in doing your kind of program because actually I should say that years and years ago, I'm a lawyer by trade. I worked uh, as a trial lawyer for the state at one point uh, for lawyers. Actually, I prosecuted other lawyers. And uh, one year, probably in the late nineties, uh, there was a company, I don't know if they exist anymore called Execuprov. And they would take lawyers and try to help hone their speaking skills and how to connect to others. Because a lot of times, as I did, I would tend to look over people's heads. I would tend to be very, and I probably still am a little bit pedantic, a little less, not enough energy in my presentation, even though I have a lot of energy. And mm -hmm. so I found it to be an extreme, it was one of the best experiences still in my life to have gone through that class because they made me do all sorts of things, uh, you know, change emotions on the spot. It was just really very exciting. I want to go back to the, the certificate that you have that you're using as part of your being a facilitator for these programs that you do. And it's called, I keep forgetting it, Social <laughs> Emotional Arts Certificate. And I had never heard of that. So what happened was after I had that experience with improv and my experience at the Second City, I thought, well, maybe I can 
maybe I'll go back to school and I'll get certified as a drama therapist. Well, school and me, like never really mixed. <laughs> I love learning, <laughs> but I'm just such a free bird that just, I don't know, it was just hard for me. In my research, I ended up finding this program at UCLA's Arts and Healing, which is basically a, a certification program you get certified as a social emotional arts facilitator. And I know it's a tongue twister, but it basically means you're getting certified to use the arts therapeutically. So there's a difference between uh, being a therapist, obviously, because you're processing of course, yes. clients. We don't process, mm -hmm. we set up our games and exercises in a way where there's an opportunity for a person to have a therapeutic effect. I got certified in that so that I could bring that program to middle and high school students because I feel like it's such mm -hmm. a difficult age and that's really when I needed the most help. That was the reason why I, I did that because I wanted to be able to offer our program in inside of schools. Um, yeah, so that was the reason why I did that and, and it really did help thanks to that certification. I was able to get our program into um, a few school districts and start working inside of the schools. And it was just so helpful. And then we started getting feedback and I started doing professional development with teachers because the feedback was so positive from the students. So then the school district was bringing me in to teach the teachers how to use improv in their classes. So no matter what subject they were doing, so say they were a math teacher or language arts, um, I was being brought in to show them how social emotional learning could be combined with theater or improv in their class. So an example of that would be, let's say there's a math class and kids, maybe there's some kids that are struggling or have ADD or they just have an immense amount of energy and creativity. And so sitting in a desk all day long, which is how it was for me, <laughs> really hard with social emotional learning we provide opportunity for different styles and different ways for different learners you know if you're a kinesthetic learner if you're a visual in a math class if you if to change it up a little bit you could use this kind of beach ball and write out addition on it and kids would toss it to one each other to one another when their hand lands on that problem then they would answer it it's just it's it's a fun way to get our whole bodies interactive um, even improvising situations where, you know, they're using math problems or especially in language arts, you know, or in history, instead of sitting and reading a history book, why not get up and improvise a part of history or, you know, getting our whole bodies involved. It is really hard for kids to sit still really, really hard. So social emotional learning, I mean, does a lot more than just that, but that's an example of what I was teaching the teachers and how they could apply improv and social emotional learning into their classrooms. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. How would you say, I mean, because you said that you, you came back to, um, you came back to the faith in part because of um, the late Monsignor Murphy and it kind of brought you into doing your work in within the church. How would you say your faith has, has it played into the work you do? And if, if it has, how has it done so? Well, I would say it's the reason. So when I moved out to LA and I wasn't practicing the faith, you know, I had these grandiose dreams of being an actress and it looked a very certain way. And when I came back into my faith, I realized that there was 
it was going to be very challenging now for me to work in the, in the industry because my belief system was a little bit different. Um, as a young woman, it made it really hard to go out for parts because I didn't agree with, you know, some of the things that the script would say. I found myself in this kind of conundrum where all my life I thought I'd be this actress on television and God had other plans for me. The beauty is that he's allowed me to do what I love and to teach it. And really the heart of what we do is we love people where they're at. And I really believe that's like part of our Catholic mission, right? Love others. And so what happens is by loving them where they're at and allowing them to be their unique self, they often will make positive changes in their lives that helps them to become free. We hear it time and time again from not only you know, teenagers, but our adults in our corporate programs that they experienced healing in the program, kind of like, you know, what I experienced because they felt accepted for the mm -hmm. first time. Well, you just recently, I, you have to tell me about just around, because we've been trying to talk about doing this uh, little podcast with me uh, for about a month or so, but you were just recently, you did a really big thing. December 8th, you had a big program or presentation. Tell me a little bit about what happened there. <laughs> so I was asked to do something called a Sue Talk, and it's really similar to a TED Talk, but mainly geared towards women in business. And so... For that, it, it, it was really set up similarly, like I said, to a TED Talk. I had a coach and the goal was to be able to share my story and what I'm doing now with my company. And so I prepared that. Normally you get 12 weeks, but they asked me a little bit late. So I only had five weeks. Talk about improv. Ooh. And it was such an amazing experience. I'm just, I'm so excited to be able to share it with people once it's all um, put together. Um, I was a part of other women who are just experienced, you know, some, some tragic things and, and suffering and are just are doing really amazing things with their lives and us and especially helping others. That is so wonderful. Um, you, uh, you know, as we're talking, we have a little person running around. And so you had a child about what, two years ago, two and a half years ago. How yeah. has that affected your faith life? your work life and your home life <laughs> oh my goodness that's a happy question <laughs> um siana is is her name and oh, she's adorable thank you she's a little fireball kind of like me <laughs> i see she's she's got things to do places to go she that name actually means light in god is gracious oh. um and she's really our miracle baby. I I was convinced I wasn't going to be able to have children because I I had a rare heart disease, and so I oh. live with an artificial aorta and artificial renal arteries. Oh my heavens! And so young, you don't expect that kind of thing in someone so young, you know? <laughs> really young when it when it happened. So I was kind of always told that it would be unlikely that I'd be able to. Oh get pregnant. If I did get pregnant, that, um, it'd be challenging to stay pregnant. So four years into my marriage, I'm not pregnant. We'd really, we'd really just given it over to God. And it was during Lent and we had just, we'd gone to mass 
I really just felt this overall sense of peace come over me just sharing with God that I was okay if that was the case and we would adopt. And a one week later, I found out I was pregnant. What I hear things, I haven't heard this particular story, but it's interesting that in, in the interviews I have done, when people talk about certain aspects of their lives, how looking back, you see the providential part of things. They, we don't always, we're not always aware of God's presence in our lives. At least I'm not. Things like this happen and you say, well, it can't have been an accident. And you really believe what you have heard, that there are no accidents as she waves to us. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I tell you, though, I was not ready for what God would have in store for me with this child, which was extreme challenges. My pregnancy was I was sick for so long. I had pregnancy vertigo, so I would spin so I couldn't get out of bed. And then I had something called a subchorionic hemorrhage. And I thought I had lost her and went to the emergency room and thank the Lord she was okay. So my pregnancy had a lot of suffering. And then Sienna had colic for the first six months of her life. So she cried from All 5 time. p.m. to 9 p.m. every night. And there was nothing we could do. I was just really like, God, I don't know. Like you allow this to happen. And it's, there's so much suffering. You know, I was convinced, why do people become moms? This is terrible. I had to really, God allowed me to go through that experience. And I was struggling with postpartum depression. And I would say the first year was really ugly. And I don't know if a lot of moms who experienced that talk about it, especially maybe Catholic moms, but it was really ugly. And I really questioned, I really questioned God. What started to happen later down the line in the second year was little by little things started to get a little easier when her colic subsided and we started getting her on a regular sleeping schedule and I was able to adjust in my hormones and all of that. I was really able to look back and see how all of that suffering was not for nothing. You know, it never is. Right. It was really strengthening me and preparing me. And a lot of it had to do with him asking me to die to my own desires and to kind of, when you become a mom, it's a re it's you're not only giving birth, but you're being rebirthed as a different human. My whole philosophy and everything just changed. And so I really think that he needed me to go through that suffering so I could also kind of be reborn. That's pretty amazing. And I, I imagine that each of us has some experience that does that for us. We hope that we can be reborn. It may not be having a child, but it could, but having a child is probably one of the biggest ways to experience what you're talking about. Plus you also now, you know, one of the things that's for sure is your life is about her. Right. It's about, I mean, she's it. It's yeah. not, and in a way, that's what our faith is it's always telling us that it, our life is not about us. That's uh, something that I think uh, Bishop Barron often talks about that sort of uh, three things he always says. First, Christ is a center. Second, remember we're sinners. But the third is your life is not about you. That is a hard thing for us to understand. And except, particularly in a world where everything's me, me, me all around us. I realize I'm so, I still am. I'm selfish. I, I really, of course, I really, we all are. Yeah, me too. You know, I, I live so much where I just had to worry about myself 
um, essentially. And so now caring for this human that, you know, we had, a, like I said, we had a lot of challenges early on and it was just extremely challenging. And in addition to that, you know, I didn't have my mom around to help me or my father's or, you know, any of my family. So there's that too, you know, I think becoming a mom without a mom is, is hard. There's so much you'd want to share with. I, I wanted to share with my mom and thank her and realize, oh my goodness, no wonder you were frustrated. How old were you when you lost your mom? I was 26. That's still young. I lost my mother when I was 20. So mm-hmm. I, I, people don't think that that makes a whole lot of difference because you're in your, your, you're either about to be an adult or you are an adult, but those are still formative years. And yeah. you know, you, there's so much you, you want to share with them that you can never share with them, whatever it is, you know, and that's, that's pretty tough, but luckily she has you. Hopefully she'll become grateful for it when she's quite a bit older. <laughs> well, tell me what's life looking like now in terms of how do you balance your your life as a as an improv facilitator and uh, and as a mom? Yeah, I don't. I think that I think that balance is not. I don't think there is a such thing. I think there's always you're giving one way, and then the other thing is not being fed you know like a teeter-totter like mm-hmm. you're up in the air and the mm-hmm. other side is down you know mm-hmm. right now it's definitely challenging especially with covid um with my daughter i have a home office and we have programs that happen virtually it's definitely really hard as you can see as meetings or things like that i have to try to keep her busy um it's it's very different and and challenging but you know you just make it work what is your future looking like in terms of anything you're planning on doing with improv it up and how it's, how it's going to function in the future? What new plans do you have, or do you have any new plans for it? Yeah. So we, last year we started working with a very large corporation who, unfortunately I can't say who they are, an NDA, which is a non-disclosure agreement, but they're really huge. Um, and, but they're really huge. The people <laughs> probably have their product in their house right now. We continue to work with them. We do online workshops with them, which is super fun. We do mm. one-on-one coaching with them. And, and it, with that with that corporation, we do communication training. So we're helping them to become better communicators as a tool to be able to do that. Because there's, I don't think I mentioned this, but there's, there's rules and principles in improv. There's an outline for how improv works. And the rules are really what... I think is life-changing. Like the number one rule is yes. And, and it means you work in agreement with what's happening. So an example Mm. of that is what we're in right now, a pandemic happens and you're now working from home, you know, it's yes, I'm working from home and, and then you're going to add a positive part and I still have a job. So by yes, Andy, and you're working in agreement and, and you come to find, especially in the corporate and business world, people are no knowers. You know, you're in a, you're in a large meeting, maybe you experienced this and, and you're planning something and somebody comes up with an idea and then somebody says, no, that's not good. I like this idea. And then that person no longer wants to share their, their ideas anymore. They feel so shut down. So there's, there's a way to be, to not necessarily think that idea is the best, but still work in agreement with it. And it's by using the rule of yes. And so you could say, if you said, you know, Tiffany, I want to paint your office pink. And I say, yes. And 
How about in six months? Yes, and what if uh, we had stripes? You know, so it's a way uh, to really agree with what's happening. You find that when you work in agreement, you're building something so much greater and you're allowing everyone's ideas to be heard. It also has an element of, you know, I, I keep bringing it back, well, I guess because I'm doing a program about ordinary Catholics, <laughs> like myself, I got to bring it back. But it also has an element of, of, of being grateful that instead of, instead of, and I, you know, I have to admit to you as, and probably you know, to myself that I tend not to do that. I tend to be one of those people who finds the quote challenge or the problem. So th this is a whole different thing. This is actually looking for the the spark, the good thing, as opposed to just deflating everything and then having no opportunity to make any difference or change anything or make it better. Absolutely. It, and it's hard. It's not easy. Um, and, and I'll go back and say one of the ways that I saw the connection between improv and the rules. So the rule of yes and there's also a rule that says make your partner look good was I was at the such so an act of charity, by the way. Look at that. You get charity in there too <laughs> yes it really it's and it's selfless so i'm at the second city and i'm reading this article that tina fey wrote and it was talking about how yes and frees you and literally in that moment my heart just burst because i was i was reminded by who said yes and and look what it did for the world you know who in our cabinet yes. said yes and what's gonna happen next yes and, and was a lady, a woman, yes. a beautiful lady, a beautiful young woman. Yes, yes, yes. So that was really what catapulted me. I said, wow, improv is so Catholic. Working with a lot of the um, Catholic church. I actually, I work with a local Catholic church and I go in and I do their leadership training and I use improv and I, and I storytell and I share with them how, how improv and the principles are so Catholic and they're really ingrained in us. And it's, you know, it's really beautiful. And so outside of our corporations, we have a, we have a school district we work with. So, you know, once things are, I don't know what normal is, but once things are back, no, normal, none of us do <laughs> back up with our, our, our school workshops. And then I also, I do speaking. So uh, a corporation or even schools have hired me to come out and do inspirational speaking, sharing my story. And, and I do, I do, uh, I do, <laughs> distraction, um, <laughs> my, when I'm speaking, it's interactive, so I will do improv games with the audience, so that they're not just sitting there listening to me talk all the time, <laughs> which is really fun. Do we have time? Can you do an example of an improv game that, that would even work in this environment, what, what we're doing right now? Yeah, so if I was if I was on stage and and I have an audience, I might even do a listening exercise where I would have two people that maybe are strangers turn to each other mm -hmm. and I would have them tell a story. And I would give them a I would ask for a suggestion. Give me a so audience, give me a city where our story is gonna take place. So give me a city. New York. New York. Okay, great. So that's your suggestion is New York. Now here's what I want you to do in this exercise. Hopefully your turn, you're sitting next to somebody who you don't know. I want you to tell a okay. concise miniature story and you're going to tell it one word at a time. Each of you are just going to say one word to contribute to your story. So I would like for you to include a who, a what, and a where in your story. 
improvise. So then the two people would look at each other and they would say, I saw a Sabrit cart. Well, that's two words. So a cart hanging from trees and it made me wonder oh did this cart get freaking central tree <laughs> period and so then you would go on and that is yeah. cool. It's very cool. I like it. As you can see, like it's a listening exercise. And the goal is to, to not only be listening and, and, and really working on our active listening skills, but also to work on saying the first thing that comes to your mind and not worrying about it being right or good or funny, but really it helps us to have those quick thinking mm -hmm. skills in life and business. We need to be able to think quickly and sometimes make quick decisions uh, right. and obviously make good ones, but it really helps our brain to kind of pick <laughs> it up. Move. Yeah. Get those neurons, get those neurons firing. Yes, absolutely. I think I want to get, make sure before I end with you and, and stop this, uh, this little conversation we've been having, which has been actually quite, actually, I think we could do more is if, why don't you give us a, is there a website or something that people can go to if they're interested in, uh, getting you to come and see them or bring you into an educational setting or whatever it is. Absolutely. So they can go to improvitup.com and we're also on social media. They can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And it's all at improv it up. And a lot of people want to add an E not improve improv. I am P R O V. It, right, I right. People don't realize it's a short, uh, it's a short form for improvisation. improvisation. So yeah, so you just stop at the V. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, I, I've been delighted and I really appreciate that Sienna has allowed me to take your time away from her. <laughs> and uh, I hope to get a chance uh, to talk to you again at some point in the near future. Oh, me too. Thank you so much. This was awesome. I love it. Sienna, enjoy your Play-Doh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you to Tiffany Sierra for spending some time with me talking about her life, her faith, and her work. And I hope you enjoyed it. Again, if you did, please go on to podbean.com and click on favorite. I would love it because I think it's actually click on follower. Either way, click on something that's good that uh, I have to admit gives me a bit of um, encouragement. Next time, we'll talk again. <laughs> <laughs>